Oh, some of my favorite things. You know, some of my favorite things, uh, especially growing up, um, was actually downtowns and not just Lewiston downtown, but Clarkston downtown. Um, you know, a lot of memories of getting on my bikes with my friends and, you know, going downtown and hanging out at like Adam's Pharmacy or, you know, Tom Smith's Nut Shop downtown Clarkston, or we'd ride our bikes over to Lewiston and go to um, the Red Baron Pizza Parlor and then go to the Liberty for a, you know, a matinee, that kind of stuff. Um, or the swimming pools as a kid. Um, you know, a lot of my really great memories was going to Clarkston Pool for years and years as a kid. And then I was also then a lifeguard at Burt Lips Pool when I was in college. Um, so those are some of my really fond memories. The art, the food, the community, and the elms. That's right, OSP fans. This week we're talking about all things art under the elms and the Dogwood Festival. Join our discussion with Debbie Fitzgerald, the director of Art Under the Elms, and Lewis Clark State College's Center of Arts and History. Debbie walks us through some of the local history about both events, how she first got involved, and what we can expect for the future. If you're anything like us, we know Art Under the Elms and the Dogwood Festival are some of your favorite Lewis Clark Valley traditions, so don't miss out on a minute of our chat. Stay tuned. Right, we are now recording. Cool. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thank you. And you can call me Debbie. Okay, we'll call you Debbie. Um, it's it's awesome. We're excited to talk about Dogwood Festival. Um, could you tell us about where where we're at with Dogwood and Art Under the Elms at this point, given given everything that's happened? Yeah, um, twenty twenty was to be the thirty sixth annual Dogwood Festival. Um, Dogwood Festival is the overarching um, programming event, our, you know, kind of a Dogwood Festival campaign, mm. um, which consists of about eight to 10 events throughout the Valley during the month of April. Right. Um, so we, we sort of did Dogwood Festival this year, but we did it virtually. Um, so we celebrated the Dogwoods blooming. We did some um maps of the valley so people could drive around and see the pretty trees we did a coloring um, page activity for the kids and adults we sold dogwood shirts um but all of the events of the dogwood festival were obviously canceled right and um a lot of people think that art under the elms is the dogwood festival but Art Under the Elms is um, the premier event of the Dogwood Festival. It kind of caps off the month of, of celebration. Gotcha. And that's a three-day artisan fair. And obviously, we were smack dab in the middle of COVID-19 um, in April. And so um, had to, we, we postponed in the hopes that perhaps we could, you know, hold it sometime over the summer. It became way too complicated um, because... Um, we're at Lewis Clark State College, and so uh, the restrictions that we have are probably even greater than what the, you know, private industry has uh, on the types of events and things. So um, we just had to cancel it for this year, unfortunately. Okay. Oh, so is that was it a long answer? <laughs> oh no. So I yeah, I saw somewhere that it, it was originally postponed, but it is officially canceled this year. 
It is officially canceled. Oh, yeah. it breaks nope. my heart. We had, um, yeah, we postponed it um, and we were going to hold it the 24th, 25th, 26th. Um, and they were also going to do Seaport River Run, which is also a Dogwood Festival event. And we had kind of coordinated with them about our rescheduling. But even um, Seaport River Run is, is postponing another time. They're postponing out even into September. Oh, wow. I heard, I heard when that they might even, depending on how COVID runs its course in the next few weeks, they might even have to let it go as well. And and that's just because the virus is so unpredictable right now. Yeah, it really is. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I'm not sad that it's being canceled because I know it's kind of the safe thing to do, but that's always right. one of my favorite parts of the year is, is the whole Dogwood Festival and then especially Art Under the Elms. I love seeing everybody that comes and at least maybe we can have uh, this podcast with you to be our little mini Art Under the Elms. We can talk oh, about Oh, that's great. Yeah. We can talk about some of the vendors that always come and all that. Yeah, we. Um, I have reached out to a lot of the artisans because, um, you know, we had we had close to 90 artisans uh, from across the Pacific Northwest and some even from like um, the Midwest coming um, this year. And um, of course we had, they paid in advance. So we had to refund all of their money and their artisan fairs are getting canceled all over the country right now. So these artisans are really getting hit. So we might do a little virtual um, presentation of the artists um, list them um, on our web page. People can go in and look at their websites and purchase from them. Um, it's definitely not the same, but at least it kind of helps them um, as the artisans. And then, um, and then hopefully, hopefully they'll all be here next next April. Yeah. So, do you have sort of an outline for how it might go the next time you get to do this, or? Um, at this point, do you think there still have to be like certain protocols that you have to follow or is there any planning for next year since this year is canceled? I'm going to be meeting with, um, the physical plant, um, at the college here in the next few weeks to talk about what we're looking at projecting out right now. Um, the college has kind of given us parameters on what events should look like for fall but they're not even going to begin to look at what it's going to look like for spring until um, things progress with, um, you know, state regulations and requirements and, and what's happening with the virus at that time. I hear from a lot of people though, that huge events like that will still have to have restrictions until there's an actual, um, um, like a vaccine or something, a vaccine, right. Um, because especially because of the vulnerable pop, vulnerable populations, mm -hmm. so any kind of event is going to be probably tailored to be a little bit different for a while. Well, and then it adds another layer of kind of complexity in that, like you were saying, there's people traveling from all over the place to set up booths or even just to attend the event. So yeah, I could see where that would be be tricky. Yeah, and I think that's you know what I I think that's what we can kind of contain our own community, but mm -hmm. once you bring people in from outside of our community, you can't control that. And you don't know where they've been. You don't know what kind of regulations they've been living in. And so I think that's where a lot of these events, I think that's where communities become concerned. Right. Um, yeah. I, 
you know, we have thought a little bit about how we would do the event differently. Um, just in the fact that we're not, the event used to be a fundraiser for continuing ed programs. And so that's where we had the gate um, fees, you know, so people buy a bracelet to get in for the weekend. And um, because we needed the money to pay our staff. <clears throat> and then, of course, we get the fees from the artists, you know, to buy their booth spaces and then the food vendors. Um, what we're looking at is, and it's not 100% certain, um, but we're analyzing what it would look like if we didn't charge at the gate for the community. So then we wouldn't have to have fencing. We wouldn't have to have um, a lot of administrative functions worrying about people sitting at the gates, taking the money, putting the wristbands on, because that's what made the event um, a little more complicated. So, the, and that would be kind of a gift to the community that they could, you know, come in. I think we'd take donations if people wanted to pop a dollar into a bucket or something um, <clears throat> because it just still takes money to put the event on. Um, but we would still utilize the revenue for programming at the Center for Arts and History. Okay, um, great. Yeah, we just wouldn't have to fund staffing which is what we ha used to have to do. We used to have to raise quite a bit of money. Right. Yeah. I guess in, in a way I, I'm wanting to take it back to its original roots. You know, it started the same year as the Dogwood Festival. So this would have been its 36th year. Yeah. So what do you know about when it started? How did it get started as uh, the Dogwood Festival and then Art Under the Elms kind of started to say, I don't know anything about the history. Do you, uh, do you know much about that? I do actually. Um, <clears throat> the college president's wife at the time, um, her name was Deanna Vickers, and she was looking for something for the community to bring community together to um, celebrate the arts. And then she was working a lot with people that were in charge of the Seaport River Run, which um, Butch Alford was one of those people <clears throat> from the Tribune, and they'd been. Um, one of the one of the groups that had really started that run, which had been going for a few years at that point. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they thought <clears throat> it would be really fun to have something happening that weekend while people come in for the run. They do the run first thing in the morning, and then what do they do the rest of the day? So they talked about, let's do an, an art fair. And so they decided to call it Art Under the Elms because of all the old elm trees around the campus, which sadly enough, a lot of them have gone since then and, and have died um, or had to be taken down. Um, but it's still Art Under the Elms. And um, they opened it up to the community to just set up tables and booths. Um, it was a not quite as stringent about, you know, the type of artwork that came in. Um, I was involved, really involved at that time with the Lewiston Civic Theater, and we just set up a booth when, I think of the second or third year, we set up a booth and sold crepes in with all of the artists, you know, and I stood in my kitchen with a couple of ladies and we made like hundreds and hundreds of crepes and froze them and carried them up there in coolers and had pie filling and, you know, powdered sugar. And um, I think we sold them for a buck, you know, just to make money for the civic theater and for exposure. And that's kind of how a lot of the um, Art of the Elm started. It was just small community groups that decided that they wanted to have a booth at the Art Under the Elms. Um, over time, what happened is that, you know, 
we looked at how other art fairs across the country and, and the region worked and artists became a little bit more um, professional in their, their work, um, developing their art and became a career for a lot of them is traveling around to these artisan fairs. And so, um, so then the, for the artisan green, it became um, a juried um, situation where the artists have to be juried before they could actually have a spot on the artisan green. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of how it all started. Um, there's also a, a funny component to the art of the elms. It's called the family fun fair part where we have the blow up castles and we have the oh, that trampoline and yep. The big, yeah. The big jump um, trampoline. Yeah. Bungee thing. Uh-huh. And um, that actually was the first few years. It was the weekend before and they had oh. it on campus as well. And it was almost like a little quarter carnival and they, they had student groups um, who set up like little carnival um, games for the kids to play. I remember one year, cause we just lived two blocks away and my daughters, we all went up there and they had like a big puppet show. They had um, a pony ride where it was ponies around a little circle that were tied to a, a big wheel. And, and I have pictures of my daughters riding these ponies right there in front of Talkington hall. And that's um, fun. Yeah. And so that was, that was the family fun fair part. I don't know when it happened that they decided to put both of them together. Um, you know, because I always just attended as an, you know, just as a community member, I wasn't involved in the actual administration of the function until eight years ago. Um, so I inherited, you know, a pretty integrated, more professional type of event. Um, but we have the last probably five years tried to bring more community in. And we have now what we call a community row where we invite nonprofits to come in and they don't have to pay for their booth. They just come in at a separate section and they can promote their, what they do. Like, you know, nonprofits like the civic theater, for instance, can promote, you know, what's coming up in their next season. Um, The United way. um, Yeah. I've always seen a food drive there. Or not yeah, always, but in yeah, the last always, few years. Yep. The Life, Art of Giving. Mike Hoffman always has his his student food drive as well, which I've participated in. Right, right. That's exactly how we started the, the um, community row because, um, you know, we started that food drive and then other nonprofits came to us and said, well, could we set up something? <laughs> and there is kind of that blank space in between the artisan green and the food um, court. So we thought it'd be nice to have a lot more activity. So it drew people through to get from one spot to the other. Yeah. So um, I think last year we had probably 20 nonprofits oh, that, that's great. that were lined up. Yeah. And their only requirement, they have to pay, you know, they had to pay the gate fee for their people that were coming in to, you know, for their, so, but we just charged them a dollar oh. for a wristband. And then um, they had to have some kind of an interactive um, little, like a little carnival game, like a, you know, hoop toss or something like that, just so that it, it wasn't just a information fair. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So it it sounds like uh, you've been in the Valley a long time. Are you a lifetime resident of the LCV? Yeah. I grew up in Clarkston. Yep. 
I was born in Lewiston and grew up in Clarkston. Yeah. And I've been here. I went away to college for one year, but um, Whitworth and Spokane. But other than that, I've been here my whole life. So nice. And uh, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, we we love having uh, local people in. We love having other people in, too. But it's always nice to to hear from someone who's been around a while. So that's great that that you were able to you know, be at the Dogwood Festival and, and, uh, Art Under the Elms, you know, for, for a long time. And, and you've also been involved with the Civic Theater, you said, I don't know if you've checked out our, our podcast before this, but we talked with, uh, Nancy McIntosh a couple weeks ago, who's the director of oh, the great. Civic Theater now. And, uh, that was a fun episode. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Civic yeah, Theater. has been a friend of mine since high school. So we're, we're good friends. Oh, yeah. that's great. So, uh, how were you involved in the Civic Theater? Were you a, an actress, an actor? I was, I have been an actress. Yeah. Nice. What, what were, what were a few of your favorite plays to do? Um, well, I think my, my big favorite was when we did Sweeney Todd. Oh, fun. Yeah. And I was Mrs. Lovett, the pie lady. So that was a lot of fun. That is great. Um, in, in the early years, um, when I first started doing civic theater, it was when I was in high school, and Fred Scheibe brought together the um, the high schools and did summer shows with each of the high schools. And um, so that's how I got to know a lot of the Lewiston kids. That's how I got to know Nancy, is we did a couple of shows in the summer together um, during our high school years. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot of fun bringing all of the drama kids together from the Valley. And that has, you know, continued to grow um, a lot. You'll know a lot of drama kids from Lewiston High School are really good friends with the kids from Clarkson High School. Hmm. And then um, and that's how I met my husband. We were dance partners in My Fair Lady in 1978. So <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Not so long. Um <laughs> So how did yeah. you uh, how did you go uh, how did you become uh, the director of of Art Under the Elms and the Dogwood Festival? Have you worked at LCSE for for a while, or I guess I'm not sure exactly how LCSE and the Center for Arts and History are connected. I suppose. Um, well, the Center for Arts and History started, gosh, years ago before the college had the building downtown. Um, the college used to have a program called. Um, what was it called? It was, it was a, people would buy tickets for a series. Um, I think it was the concert series. And they, you bought a subscription of, of series tickets. They, the college would bring in like um, the San Francisco opera or the Eugene ballet. And they always performed in like the Lewiston high school auditorium. They were huge, huge events. And um, it was called the Lewis Clark Artist Series. That's what it was called. And actually, when I was an LCSE student in like 79 and 80, I was a work study in that office. And that office was in the Edmond building, right where the HR office is now. Oh, that would have been so neat. Yeah. And I'd call people to make sure that they knew that there was time for them to pay for their tickets and that the ballet was coming. And, you know, I did a little bit of that work. Well, then in 1991, um, the building where we're located at Fifth and Main, which was the first security bank building, it it was donated to the college. And actually, it was really donated to the foundation office, which is not 
you know, financially, it's a separate entity. It's not um, a state institution. So it was donated to the foundation. But they took the Lewis Clark Artist Series offices and moved them down there. And they hired a woman by the name of Leslie Esselburn. And she became the director of the Center for Arts and History. And they had the Lewis Clark Artist Series. And then they that building became an art gallery because it's just so beautiful and the perfect spot for that type of thing. They would have a few other things like some um, artisan readings, you know, like author readings and lectures. And of course we still continue doing that kind of stuff now. Um, and so it belonged to the foundation for years and years. Um, continuing education programming, I think it moved down there maybe like 15 or 16 years ago. But again, I wasn't really involved at that point. Um, so I wasn't sure. Um, and then I, um, I started there in December of 2012. And at that point, it had been turned back to the college. The building is now owned by the state of Idaho and the college because in 09, the building had a fire and it was closed for about two or three years while they had to renovate, get money. And the foundation turned the college, turned the building back to the college. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I kind of remember that. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> let's see, I started there in 12, the end of 2012. And I think it was just the like nine months before that, they moved back into the building. And so, um, so now we are an actual part of the college. And um, the work we're having work done right now yeah, I, uh, I had lunch. About that. You know, we were. I had lunch on Main Street on uh, Thursday, and we, yeah, saw it's all you know. It's got the black debris shield up. Shroud, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I was like, "What are they doing in there?" So now I'm gotta get to find out. Yeah. Um, well, about I think it was my first year there. I was meeting with people from the Idaho Heritage Trust. They're a granting organization in the state of Idaho that helps fund. Um, cultural, historic cultural um, buildings and um, organizations. And the state historical architect was visiting us because we have the Chinese Buckeye Temple there. And they were there because we'd actually had a grant from them to restore some of the artifacts. And they were visiting us to find out how that project was going. And he was walking around the building and looking up and, and I walked over and I said, you know, is everything looking okay? This is an old building. It was built in the um, 1890s. And he said, well, he said, I have to tell you, he said, I think that the college should um, try to find some funding because he said the mortar is really bad and you're going to have some bricks starting to crack and fall. And, and actually when they replaced the roof just the year before, a lot of people were complaining that while the roofers were up there, there'd be little pieces of brick that would fall down every once in a while onto the sidewalk. So yeah, um, can't I have would, that. No, no. <laughs> so they, that group, Idaho Heritage Trust gave us a grant for an engineering study. So we could get some bids on what it would cost to, to repair the brick and mortar on that building. And then um, we made a, uh, the college made a pitch to the, Permanent Building Fund, which is the legislative branch of all of the public buildings in Idaho. And they funded the restoration of all the brick and mortar on the building. That's great. 
Yeah. And we, we knew that this was going to happen like two years ago, but they, we knew it also couldn't start till this year. Well, yeah, I guess it, it was a good year for it to, to start, I suppose, since <laughs> most people yeah, weren't able to. Yeah, because it's really hard to even be open. You right. know, because yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's almost perfect timing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really loud and noisy in there. In fact, our staff went back on June 2nd and we're not really there full time because it's just so loud and noisy. We're still, some of us are still kind of working from home part time because um, it's hard to get work done. And then we're also getting some new windows upstairs um, that will be a lot more um, environmentally friendly to the, the historic artifacts we have in the Chinese Buckeye Temple. Um, the windows we have up there, you can just feel the air coming through them. And so um, we got a new HVAC system about five years ago um, upstairs, which is really nice because they didn't have air conditioning before upstairs. Yeah. So um, having the new windows will really help. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, and for anybody listening that hasn't been and checked it out, I would strongly encourage you to go. It's a, it's a great space, and the Buckeye Temple is really cool. Um, I got to take a public history course taught by Dr. Amy Canfield. She was a, a guest on the show here a little while ago. And um, at that time, her office was in the Center of Arts and History just down from the from the Buckeye Temple. So we got to spend some time there, and it's 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 a great little spot. It's It's really cool. It is. It's a really great spot. I'm really lucky to work there. I, every time I walk, every day when I walk into work, I, I feel really, really thankful. Yeah. That's yeah, great. I love it. Well, uh, just to shift gears back to, uh, to Dogwood, um, you mentioned food. Has food always been a part of Dogwood? Because that's definitely one thing that a, I look forward to every year. Yes, that draws me in like a moth to flame. Yeah. Those fried foods and, and all the stuff they have there. It's uh, <laughs> I get in trouble. It's good. Yeah. No, food has always been a part of it. When, you know, going back to like those early years, um, it wasn't as... Uh, it wasn't as quite as an intentional food court at that time. I don't think food courts were really, you know, food trucks were a bit a thing then, you know, in the early 1980s, but over time, but um, in those early years, like the chamber of commerce would sell the elephant ears and the lion's club sold hamburgers. Hmm. Um, you know, so there were food booths, but they weren't quite the food trucks as that they are now. And I think the food truck, piece of it started probably closer to like 20 years ago or so. Yeah. And, um, that is a huge part of it. And, um, people come, in fact, when, um, one of the, my first years here, we decided to not fence the food court off. So you wouldn't have to pay to get into the food court so that people from the neighborhood could walk up and have dinner in the food court on the nights that, you know, the, that Art of the Elms was open. In fact, before I started working and was in charge of the Art of the Elms, my family and I, it was a tradition. Friday night, we'd always walk up and have our dinner. You know, we'd have Rosie's ribs or we'd have one of those big New mm. York sausages with all of that sauerkraut and stuff. And um, that was always our, our Friday night dinner. Now I'm even more sad. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, I think I could still go get some Rosie's ribs, though. They're around. So I imagine yeah, they are around. Yeah. And you know, when we do have food trucks around the valley that they're becoming know, more popular and they're absolutely delicious. Hey, we have the yeah, food truck yeah, night we, at the fairgrounds as well. Oh, food truck night's fantastic. I know. I, I'm avoiding crowds right now, but yeah, um, I, I look forward to uh, a good 
food truck night sometime. My daughter, one of my daughters lives in Portland and of course food trucks are a big deal over there. So we got really familiar with, you know, food trucks can be so creative and it's, it's, it's kind of fun to see what they can do. If I had any sort of, of uh, ambition in this direction, I think a mac and cheese food truck would do really well Friday nights in downtown Lewiston, Friday and Saturday. I think that's, that's brilliant. I think they have think one in Moscow, it. so it's not completely original, but yes, a mac and cheese food truck, it just, that's, that's where my interests lie. <laughs> Oh, I love mac and cheese. So, and again, uh, I just wanted to say, who doesn't? You'd have to be, all right, I'm not going to go into a mac and cheese rant. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep it on topic a little bit. But uh, so the Dogwood Festival, Art on the Elms, not the same thing. Dogwood Festival is kind of all-encompassing. And you did mention a few, a few events, especially what you did differently this year. But um, what are the different events of the Dogwood Festival? I know we're celebrating the dogwood trees blooming, which is amazing. I love the smell, especially on campus. You can walk through and actually oh, the hum of the bees in the dogwoods. That's that's one of my favorite uh, small yeah. things in life. Yeah. Um, well, there's been the dog show. So I the, did not know about a dog show. Did you know about a dog show, Drew? I didn't. How did I not know yeah. about this? This is fantastic. The weekend before Art of the Elms is always the AKC dog show up at the fair building. And it's like four days. It's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or something. And so people come from all around, and they're, it's so much fun to go up there and see the different dogs. Yeah. So it's, it's a big kennel club dog show. Yep. So there's that. There's the um, Seaport Quilters Guild um, quilt show. I believe my aunt is involved with that. Yeah. And that, um, the last few years, has been at Clarkson High School. Originally, that was actually held in the Williams Conference Center on the LCSE campus. They moved it over to Clarkston, I don't remember how many years ago. They actually talked about moving it back and having it in the... Um, um, activity center on campus, um, which I think would be really fun to have that part of Art of the Elms again. It's the same weekend. So, um, and then of course there's Seaport Quilters Guild. There was at one time a sailing regatta. I think I kind of remember that. Yeah. I remember seeing sailboats anyway and wondering what they were all doing here. Yep. And I think that was earlier in the month that they had that. And then we've had grape and grain which is a, a beer and wine event that it's a fundraiser for the Center for Arts and History, as well as the business student organization. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And we, we raise money for student scholarships um, for that with that event. So, and we fill the center with probably close to 300 people um, for that event. It's a very nice um, fundraiser. And then there has been on and off different other events that have kind of come and gone, um, I think there was also the Dogwood Dunk, which was a three-on-three yeah. basketball tournament. I was oh. just going to mention that. I remember we always did that as kids, Dogwood Dunk. I remember this. Yep, yep. and that, I think, has kind of gone by the wayside about the last five or six years, unfortunately. Hmm. So, um, And then the Refresh the Valley actually used to be a Dogwood Festival event. The Chamber and BDL did. Yeah. And then, of course, so. Art Under the Elms. And Art Under the Elms, of course, yeah. And then, of course, we sold our T-shirts, and we we solicit a new um, artist each year to design the T-shirt. And this year, Carrie Kaiser from the college, she's a 
works in e-learning services. She designed the shirt and I think we'll probably want to have her take this year's design and kind of keep it, but that maybe change it up a little bit, or we'll do something funny about, you know, 2020, 2021, or right. I don't know, we'll do something. Do yeah. you have 2020 t-shirts available? That could be almost a novelty item. We do actually, we ordered a small amount and we sold them and we sold a few online. I think we sold close to a hundred. Oh, wow. Are there and any then, more available? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, where are. could a podcast host uh, obtain one of these t-shirts? Oh, I think you could just send me an email and yes. I'll make sure that you get one. Yeah. <laughs> there's a long sleeve t-shirt and then there's a short sleeve green. That's really nice. Oh, awesome. And then all this, all the kids that and participated in our coloring contest, they all got a t-shirt. So we sent t-shirts out to everybody. And then um, if you send me Oh no, we're having internet issues. We have technical difficulties, everybody. Let's see if we can get Debbie back here. Hello, OSP fans. I want to take this opportunity to thank all of our amazing and kind Patreon subscribers. And just to show you how much we appreciate our wonderful patrons, there will be a bonus episode for them at patreon.com slash old spiral podcast. Now next week is 4th of July, and instead of trying to come up with the perfect episode introductions and sweating over the background music that goes with it in this wonderful, ever-evolving basement studio, we're going to celebrate with our families in the fresh, outside air. But have no fear, for only one dollar a month you can head to patreon and become a subscriber not just for this exclusive new episode but there are other posts and recordings all for patrons only feel free to donate at our other modest monthly levels and be the receiver of products that are coming down the line like stickers and t-shirts you know once we convince someone to uh, make us a real logo uh, for free <clears throat> So just search old Patreon. Uh, what did I say? Old. So just search Patreon.com/slash/OldSpiralPodcast for more information. Thanks for the support. Thanks everybody for listening, even the non-Patreon subscribers. And have a happy and safe Fourth of July holiday. And now, back to the show. Going good, though. I was having a great time. Oh, there she is. We made it. Hello. Sorry, you guys. That's okay. We'll just throw in a commercial. It'll be all good. I think my my Wi-Fi just zonked, and so I went in there and reset it. So well, it seems really clear now. So that's okay. Like I said, we've got uh, magical editing powers. Uh, it'll be just fine. I think we were well, I'm talking. I'm sitting here and I I was talking and and. You guys are nodding, and then all of a sudden you're like just staring at me. And I thought, oh no, they're frozen. And then it said connection missed. And so <laughs> that's fine. I think we were talking about t-shirts and and uh, and how you were you all the all the kids that did the coloring contest. And uh, I right. think that's kind of where right. we left off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so send me your your sizes, and I'll get you a t-shirt. Oh, that's so cool. And great. then um, if you want long sleeve or short sleeve, let me know. Sounds good. 
this can be a hard choice. <laughs> we will definitely we'll send you we'll send you our info when we're done here. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Well, what's really cool to me is is um, you know our our podcast, Old Spiral Podcast. As the listeners know, we like to focus on the community and all the fun, awesome things that that this uh, place has to offer. And I think the Dogwood Festival just fits right in with that. And and like you said right at the beginning, um, when uh, oh, what was her name that started the Dogwood Festival? Oh, Deanna Vickers. Vickers, yeah. Um, when she started it, you said it was all about community, and that's that's so cool. And uh, you having grown up here, I, I'd love to just get a sense of uh, what are some of your favorite things about the Valley? Oh, what's some of my favorite things? You know, some of my favorite things, uh, especially growing up, um, was actually downtowns, and not just Lewiston downtown, but Clarkston downtown. Um you know, a lot of memories of getting on my bikes with my friends and, you know, going downtown and hanging out at like Adam's Pharmacy or, you know, Tom Smith's Nut Shop, downtown Clarkston, or we'd ride our bikes over to Lewiston and go to um, the Red Baron Pizza Parlor and then go to the Liberty for a, you know, a matinee, that kind of stuff. Um, or the swimming pools as a kid. Um, you know, a lot of my really great memories was going to Clarkston pool for years and years as a kid. And then I was also then a lifeguard at Burt Lips pool when I was in college. Um, so those are some of my really fond memories. I also, I'm really nostalgic for the old, um, I'm not a big roundup fan. That's not my thing, but I remember the old roundup grounds over in North Lewiston. And I loved, I have a lot of really fun memories of that. I think with raising my family here, I think some of my very favorite memories have been like the Dogwood Festival. You know, I think um, there's been a lot of really fun things that happen around that those events um, that my, my kids have grown up doing that have been really great. I think the cultural, um, the cultural offerings like through the Civic Theater, um, the art programs in the school districts, the, the theater and the, and the bands and choirs, um, I think have really helped make our community very special. Um, you know, I, I, we have a really wonderful park system between the two communities. And regardless of whether you're out with your kids playing softball or just having a picnic, I, I just, those are some, I think, of the really beautiful things about our valley. Um, when I was in junior high and high school, the big thing that was happening was the renovation of the levee system, the development of the levee system um, while they were building the dams. And I think I was a junior in high school when they actually completed the construction and we had all those bike paths down on the levee. And um, I love going down and seeing families down there riding their bikes or, or their, you know, rollerblading or whatever, um, and thinking about the impact that that's had on bringing people together and out and around the community. Um, I think that's really pretty. I love the free flowing rivers. And, and I think that the slack water has changed our, our environment a little bit here from when I was a child. But beyond that, I think that the levee system is, is beautiful. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, um, 
I've been loving all the new uh, with with technology and cameras and drones being as good as they are. When someone's out there taking really nice high resolution photos of everything, or or those beautiful drone videos, um, it's outstanding. This is really a beautiful place, and it would have been interesting to know more about what it was like uh, before, like you said, the levees and the dams went in. That would, uh, besides old pictures, um, that would have been something to see. It would have been, you know, I, funny thing happened on this, you know, the, those, there's a couple of groups that, um, you know, you're from the Lewis Clark Valley. I'm on there. And, you know, on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. Somebody made a post about um, the old Albertsons, which is down below the Burt Lips pool. And now it's at, um, it's at Trice for a St. Joe's hospital. Right. Um, Yeah. Well, there's some woman commented on there and I thought, I clicked on her Facebook page and I knew her because when I was a little kid in like 1965, she taught swimming lessons in a private beach in Clarkston before the levee system. And so my whole neighborhood, we would pack into a couple of station wagons and all drive down there with our lunches and sit on these private beaches. And she could only teach so many at a time. And we'd have to sit there in between everybody's lessons and, and I, she was my teacher. I, I messaged her on Facebook and we connected. It was so much fun. Um, but I remember all along the river, there were homes with little private beaches right there in Clarkston um, that, you know, and you could go along, there'd be like raspberry bushes and um, lots of places to climb around and explore. And of course, you know, after the levees that all changed and those houses had to be moved or destroyed. So um, I don't think a lot of people, it'd be fun to see some pictures from those times. Yeah. Yeah. And Facebook groups like that one there, it's really fun because a lot of people do post post images of, of what the Valley used to look like. And it's fun to scroll through and look at those. Yeah. Do you hear everybody's kind of um, memories and um, or trying to remember, well, did so-and-so do that? Or, or was this building here or there? And it's fun to, to even listen to some people's discussions on there. Yeah, it, you know, tickle that nostalgia bone a little bit every now and again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else? I think I think that's kind of it for us. Um, I guess one more thing before we leave is uh, we always ask everybody, what's your favorite band or, or what music are you listening to currently? Oh, my favorite band? You know, I... I'm in love. I'm not a big country western fan, but um, but I've always really loved the Dixie Chicks, and now they're the Chicks, mm. and they put out this really cool video right now that um, I've been listening to over and over again. And so I I have um, a lot of respect for them and for standing up for what they believe in. So I really like the Chicks. Yeah, I have to that, check that I video listen. out. Yeah, you will. I think it's called March. Okay. Um, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, I just saw it about three days ago and I've been listening to it quite a bit. And then, um, I listened to a lot of seventies. I, I, one of my big splurges this last year is I got serious radio. So I listened to the seventies on seven. And one of my favorite things is on Saturday mornings, I listened to the Casey Kasem top 40 from the 1970s. And it's so much fun. Cause that's, that was my era. That's when I grew up. So, man, I remember Casey Kasem on road trips when I was little. He was getting up there, and then I, I think his son took over after a while. I don't remember 
Sounds right. I think right. he did for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then I listen to Broadway show tunes. So that's my older go-to. Cool. Well, thanks so much again for coming in and talking with us. Yeah, it was yeah, great to thanks, have you guys. on, Debbie. And, and I know we both look forward to connecting with you in, in real life when this is all over and, yeah. and hopefully seeing you at the Dogwood. Yeah, next year. And keep me in mind. I, I love playing music there. And so... It'll be good. Definitely. Well, maybe we could do something with the podcast at Art Under the Elms next spring. Hey, that oh, sounds like a plan. We would be so down for that. Do a live uh, live broadcast for the Old Spiral podcast. We, we'll have to talk. I love the name of your podcast, by the way. I just think that's so cool. <laughs> oh, thanks. I think I think credit goes to Drew on that one, but uh, you should see the list of names we, <laughs> we had. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you been doing this? Uh, We're, since January. Yeah. Six yeah. months. Oh, okay. Yeah, this will be episode 25. Mm-hmm. That's great. I Podcasts really intrigue me. Yeah. It's, I, I think there's a whole um, world out there that we could start talking absolutely. about and listening. Yeah. yeah. I, we My we son both just law. loved podcasts, and uh, we thought, what what could we contribute to that world? And we started uh, this one, but we, you know, we're both NPR fans and, and fan of the, the long format conversation, so... We decided we'd try it. Well, good for you guys. Do you have a good following? Yeah, yeah anywhere between 60 and 100 people a week. But, um, I mean, just uh, it, it'd be nice to get uh, a little bit more exposure helps. Every time someone shares the interview that they come and do or shares an episode, we get more and more listeners. And we were actually interviewed in the 360 um, for the 360. That was uh, – we got a lot of – a big bump after that. And then uh, – I don't know. It's still early, but yeah, we have a we have a good sixty to one hundred listeners every week, and some weeks are more, some weeks are less. But it's going well. I'm pretty happy with it. You know, we could do a really cool like a an exhibit and programming um, thing down at the center just about podcasts. Yeah, and kind of the history of podcasts, and and you know how they came about, going back to old radio shows. We could do a whole thing. That would be really fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to contribute with something like that. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're doing planning, and, you know, that's even something that if, if it wasn't something we could get people in the building to do, we could even do it kind of almost virtually as well. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, I'll have to keep you guys in mind, and we'll, t- we'll we're in the process of planning for the next year and a half, so. Awesome. Yeah, that would be fun. Some yeah. of our most successful exhibits have a – like cultural historic um, aspect. We did a whole big exhibit on the history of rock and roll in the Valley. A few oh years yeah. Ago. Our first episode was actually on Casey's. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And we actually brought in signage from Casey's and we brought together a couple of old bands that played one night and we, um, it was really fun that we had, we had more people come in for that exhibit than in, in anything we've done since I've been there. So people love that kind of stuff. That nostalgia. Yeah. So let's do one on podcasts. I think that would be cool. I think we're down. Very good. (laughs) Good. All right, guys. Well, it was really nice to see you. Thanks for your patience. Yeah, it was nice to meet you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. This episode of the show was brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. 
That's going to do it for this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the backlog of episodes if you haven't already, and thanks for listening.